Let's continue through our series in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're tackling uh, verse 7, part of verse 7. Uh, for those of you that are just joining us, we just want to welcome you here. Uh, we, we have been going through a chapter in 1 Corinthians that's all about love, and we've just been kind of slowing down through that chapter, as is our style, to look at every single word that Paul uses to describe what love is and what it is not, praying simultaneously that God would instill what that is and what that is not uh, into the fabric of our own lives, that we would uh, do away with what love is repelled by and we would embrace by uh, the things that love is. Um, Considering the fact that Jesus said uh, that the greatest commandment in the entire Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. We are praying and studying and and, uh, reading in order to uh, become this vision of what love is. And so we're, we're looking specifically at verse 7, but we'll read everything from verse 1 all the way up to verse 7 as we have been doing. Starting with verse 1, Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is God's word. Amen. This morning we're going to look specifically at love bears all and endures all. And Lord, as we do that, would you craft our hearts and our ears to listen and to hear and to be conformed into your very image. Shape my mouth to say only the things that you have said and help me to reflect the heart of what you have said. Nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As I was thinking about love bearing and enduring everything, uh, I immediately got this picture of... uh, the difference between Brianna and I's uh, ability to keep our place clean. I would probably, why are you laughing? I, I would probably describe Brianna and myself both as clean freaks. I don't think she would agree that I am a clean freak, but I have my own definition and it works. Um, I think she is far more clean than I am, uh, but that's a, that's a different story. Uh, She tends to want, and I love this about her, I just can't keep up with it. She wants to see everything, all of our space, pristine, uh, organized, clean, without a speck anywhere. And to tell you the truth, without her, uh, given me and Jude and Abby, uh, we would live in a garbage dump uh, apart from her. I also love things clean, but I tend to, I don't know if this is just the way that I'm wired, I tend to only want my particular space to be clean. 
so for me, that might be, you know, uh, my little desk in our living room where I work and where I study. Like, say, say when I'm preparing for Sunday, as long as my little space is, is clean and pristine, I'm good. If it's cluttered, if it's dirty, if there's like uh, my kid's applesauce across the wall, streaked across the wall, I just can't think. I can't work. I can't concentrate. I need my little zone to be as clean as possible. Uh, if, if I'm, you know, and, and when I'm there, I don't care about what my room looks like. I don't care about what the kitchen looks like. I just care about my little space. I can actually ignore everything else. I have this ability uh, to just be locked in into my little bubble. Now, if I'm in a different place in the house, if I'm cooking dinner or making breakfast, I need the kitchen to be just spotless. I need the dishes to be done. I need the sink to be empty. I need clean space. I don't care what my desk looks like at the time, right? I don't care what my room looks like at the time. I'm, I'm kind of repeating my room for a, a purpose here. I'll get to it in a second. But uh, it's just where I happen to be. And I can, I can lock out other things. Brianna, though, like, she gets that same way. She can't think. She can't concentrate, if anything. Like the a section of the rain gutter on the part of the house we didn't even know existed. Like, if that is out of place, if there's a missing screw loose, like, she can't think. She just, just wants everything to be uh, settled. But for me, uh, you know, she, uh, she wouldn't call me clean because of that reason, just where I'm at. But I, I, I call it creatively organized, okay? But for whatever reason, uh, I can lock out other places in the room as long as my space is okay. There could be messes all over the, you know, uh, specifically uh, where I sleep. Uh, I have like, she, she actually created a wire rack for me to put clothes on. The problem is I own like two pairs of pants and like five shirts. Uh, and so I'll go through them like in a week. And then the next week, I'll go through them the same way. You probably noticed, because I wear the same black shirt. Not the same black shirt. I have three black shirts. But uh, <laughs> I'm not that gross, okay? But like for me, I'm like, I, I don't want to fold them up and then put them away in a drawer if I'm just going to take them out like a few days later. I just want to have them out ready for me the following day. And so I have this pile right by my bed right here, and it's got, and it's clean, and I fold them, you know, it's not gross, it's not a pig bed, but I have a pile here, and then I have a pile of pants, and then I have a pile of, uh, you know, miscellaneous things like ties that I never wear. And so I have, like, my three piles that sometimes people trip over in the middle of the night, but... uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get better at that and clean my messes, but the truth of the matter is I can live my life knowing that the mess is not there. As long as my space at the desk or in the kitchen or wherever it is is clean, I can ignore the mess. It's like the mess is not even there to me, which is a picture of love. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a picture of love. Brianna is far more loving than me, and I'll get to how her element is more like love than my element, but there's something to be said about disregarding messes. The word that Paul uses, uh, stego in the Greek, when he speaks of bearing, that's a word that gets translated as bearing, love bears uh, everything or it bears all things. It means literally to roof over or to cover over messes. It means to protect by keeping covered or to cover over uh, so that it's not seen. Now, this is not speaking about my room or my stuff or all of my clutter. Uh, I think Paul would probably tell me, clean up your junk, okay? Uh, This is in the context of relationships, not keeping the house clean. 
Uh, what Paul means here is that love has this ability to look over other people's messes in the context of a relationship. Meaning that if you have love, you have this ability to shut out the things that people have done to you over time. You have this ability to roof over people's mistakes and shortcomings and disappointments. Uh, you have this, uh, you are able to cover over. That's why we, we see in, uh, for example, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, which tells us that love covers over a multitude of sins. It has this ability that even though people just continue to hurt or uh, uh, disappoint you or let you down, you have this ability to cover over their shortcomings over and over. It's as if the mess is not even there to you. To bear with somebody means essentially to put up with them. Uh, or as, a, as the New Living Translation tells us, love never, uh, its way of translating the same text, love never gives up. Now as I'm looking at that, I find it far more easy to clean up my physical messes than to deal with people's literal messes. When I look at even that translation, love never gives up, I... To be honest, I'm not like encouraged by that because I have given up on people so many times. I can look back at the last two weeks and think of the times people have disappointed me or let me down or, thinking, or, or I'm thinking specifically in my mind of people who I just felt like had it out for me and that defensiveness that comes up you know, inside where you're just like on guard around that person. Now, th this person is not in this room, okay? This is not like my passive-aggressive way of, of, you know, preaching, but I'm really talking to that person. I don't do that. Uh, this is not like a subtweet or something like that. I'm a, uh, someone far removed and distant, uh, which is, you know, it's not an uncommon thing. If you're in relationships with people, they do this and we do it to them. Uh, but I just, I've been finding myself struggling with this phrase, love bears all, thing and, uh, bears all things. And I, I think that's interesting because up until that point, every description that love has about, uh, about itself, I've, I've found myself able in some way to pretend like I can, get, I can get along with that particular description. They're ambiguous enough for me to fake it till, till I make it if I need to. Love is patient, you know. I, I have not always been a patient person, but I can kind of get, I can kind of finagle my way around that description by saying, well, you know, I kind of lost it a few times with some people, but, you know, compared to what I was going to do, I'd consider myself to be fairly patient, you know. I mean, I, I totally withheld uh, what I was going to give them. I'm pretty patient. Or love is not rude. You know, I could easily look at myself and say, I'm generally not a rude person, even though I, I totally snapped at someone the day before. I can, I can easily get my way out of those things uh, if I wanted to, if I was dishonest with myself. But this one is hard for me to ignore. How can I say, how can I even pretend or fake by saying, I am able to bear everybody's drama and mess. I can bear all disappointments. I can bear anything that people send my way. That is a hard one for me to be, uh, to pretend like I, I can do. And so this one's been confronting me in my own failure. I can think of a couple ways just in the past week that I have failed to bear with people. And 
I don't know if you do this, but there's also something in me. It's almost like a defense mechanism with something as, as brutally relentless as the command to love. Uh, where I sometimes say, yeah, love is patient, but in my mind I'm like, you've got three, you've got three chances though, bro. <laughs> I'll be patient with you three times. I think that's saying a lot. <laughs> Love is not rude, but, you know, after you have done that thing, you know, enough times, like 12 times, I'm going to be firm with you. Not rude, firm. <laughs> and so there's all these ways. I, I found in, uh, just in reflection with the Lord and just looking by, like, knowing I'm going to preach on this, I, I just had to ask myself, like, how am I doing with this? I'm like, oh, no. But I've just been looking at the way, the things that just come up in my heart when people wrong me or spite me, or when they, they do it accidentally, whatever it is that would stir up something that I, that, uh, that I would not be able to bear. And I even find myself creating these defense mechanisms. Well, I'll forgive them three times, but after that, you know, we're done. There's a story in one of the Gospels just like that, where Peter, remember this story? Comes up to Jesus and he, he, he says, how many times should we forgive people, Lord? Seven times? You know, he's like, <laughs> if, you, if you study that, the context of that story, like that isn't an arbitrary number. That is something that the rabbis recommended. In other words, that was like what the most religious people did. Like if you were super holy, you would forgive someone up to seven times. Nobody did that. But this was the, the standard to, to, to live up to. And so Peter was basically trying to like impress Jesus. Like, hey, Lord, because they, they just got reprimanded for, for unforgiveness. And so Peter, classic Peter, putting his foot in his mouth and wanting to get, a, get an edge in with, with almighty Jesus, says, well, how many times should I forgive people? Seven times? That's good, right, Lord? Yeah. And Jesus uh, if you read that story, it basically says, uh, gives them an impossible number, seven times seven, I think, or seven times 70, excuse me, which ends up being like hundreds of times. And the point is like, well, you have to forgive someone hundreds of times uh, and then you're good. He was saying, hey, you never stop. Love bears all things. It never runs out of times. It never has any limits. And this is something I've been just really convicted about, even as I go through the first, when, uh, excuse me, as I've been going through the first portion of this chapter with all of you. Yeah, patience, I'm growing in patience, that's cool. Yeah, I'm not as rude as I used to be, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I, I rejoice in the truth and I don't rejoice in wrongdoing. I go through these things and I see areas where I'm able to do it a little bit. And yet I've been noticing I put limits on all of them, but I'll stop at a certain point until I get to verse seven. Any of you felt that way? Like, yeah, I can be patient uh, up to a certain point. But even when people continue to let you down, even when people purposefully spite you, even when people offend you, even when they rub you the wrong way, even when they are intentionally and strategically out to get you, Paul says, we're not just patient a little bit. Love is not just kind a little bit. Love is just not just uh, uh, lacking rudeness a little bit. Love bears everything that is thrown its way. And that's what's hard for me personally about this element, this facet of love that we're diving into. There's no limit to it. 
And there's a part of me that wants to know that there's limits because I'm willing to step out of the boat a little bit so much as I know that there's a limit to my, uh, to my own risk, that there's some security in there for me. I'll love you a little bit as long as I know that I can back out whenever it gets too risky for me or too uncomfortable. Paul says there's no limit. I'll join a, you know, a, a group of people and get real and authentic about uh, my life as, lo- uh, you know, as long as they don't push me too much. I, I want that open door out. I'll join a home group as long as there's a back door to that home group. I'll join a church as long as I can kind of disappear. I'll get into an accountability or a discipleship relationship with someone as long as I can bail. How many of us would do those things if we knew there was no way out? Now, God doesn't trap us, but he tells us that the goal, the vision, the heart of love is not that we're trapped with no way out. It's that love never chooses a way out. It bears all things. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking of ways that you have been hurt by people, and you're hearing that love bears all things, and perhaps a few questions are coming up. I want to interact with some of those questions. Some of you might have heard of... uh, might have gone through something and you're thinking of that situation and you're like, okay, great. I, I love your metaphor about the messes, you know, clothes stacked up like this, but, you know, that's cute and metaphorical, but real messes are happening in my life and those messes are hurting me. People hurt me. They're hurting me. Does love mean I'm supposed to just sit passively and not do anything because love bears all things? The answer is no. No. Love bears all things, but it is not passive. It does not mean that we stand idly by. Love uh, uh, bearing all things is not a passive giving up or throwing up your hands uh, in surrender, but it is actually an active endurance for an end goal. That's that's why Paul, at the end of this this, uh, phrase, at the end of Uh, Verse 7 would say that love endures all things. Those two things are capturing the same idea. It bears all things and it endures all things. Uh, You'll notice that there's four things that he speaks of. Love bears all things. Uh, Love believes all things. Love hopes uh, for all things. Love endures all things. Uh, And they kind of relate to one another. And scholars think that this this four-part sentence is really a poetic arrangement of words. Uh, It's a structure that that basically wants to get two ideas across. And so Paul, in a fit of poetry, is explaining two things on opposite ends that mean the same thing. Love bears all things and love endures all things. Just like like pieces of bread on a sandwich. Uh, He's expressing something very unique. That love has the ability to go through something right now in the present. But then he speaks about two things. The filling in his kind of poetic outbursts that speak about the future. And we'll talk about those in the weeks to come, but love believes all things and love hopes all things. He's not just throwing together some random words. He's telling us that a person with love is able to withstand anything in the present because of something in the future that they're grounded in. There's something out there that is holding them anchored in the right now. In other words, love endures the present because it's so sure of something in the future. Love is so confident in what is coming later that it's able to deal with what's here. So this is not, love is not this uh, fit of passivity. It is rather resilience. 
When we speak of bearing all, we're not speaking of being passive, but being resilient. Some of you might be, uh, might be asking, well, does love mean I'm not supposed to speak up for myself or to tell the truth? And I think after last week, we would have to say no, right? For those of you that missed last week, the verse was, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in what? In the truth. Love speaks the truth, even when the truth hurts. That means in conflict. We don't avoid conflict. We speak truth. We learn to do it in a non-shaming, loving way, uh, but we, we do not run away from the truth. When people are hurting us, we, are, we should be able to point that out. When there's injustices in the world, we don't ignore them. We point them out. Love does not preclude truth-telling honesty. A third question you might be asking is, does, what about when people are hurting me? Does the love allow them to hurt me? Uh, I want to pause right here. The answer, by the way, is no. Answers to all of these questions are no. Uh, but before I get into that answer, I want to revisit uh, uh, the story I opened up with earlier. A couple weeks ago, it's it the end of the day, and I, I turned the light off in my room and kind of crashed my head on the pillow and started to go to sleep. And as I, was, as I was going to sleep, I felt something run across my body. And, you know, we have, we have a bajillion ants in our house like everybody else in Santa Barbara right now. And so I've kind of gotten used to ants just crawling on me, but I've also gotten used to the, the way that they weigh. And this particular thing weighed a little bit more than an ant. And it was dark, I couldn't see anything, I just slap, just slapping and screaming, yelling, like, you know, I'm like shaking my phone, trying to get the light on like that, and then I'm like, okay, and I'm looking for it, and I look at the bedspread, and there's, sure enough, there's this giant uh, spider just rolling across a bedspread. Uh, that's the, that's a common term for it. I think the uh, scientific term is eight-legged demon from the devil, <laughs> but you know, like, Bree and I have worked really hard in our lives to keep our beds safe from creatures like that. <laughs> it is removed from the wall at a certain angle. Uh, there is nothing attached to the, to the bottom there. There's certain things drooped over to kind of keep this space safe. I just don't like, I mean, I'd rather it was a rat. I could deal with a rat more than I could deal with a spider. But for whatever reason, it was a spider, ran across me. I wake up. I, it's in the middle of the night. I, I, I just yell out. And Bree wakes up like this. She's like, yeah, you know. She's like, don't talk to me. And I'm like, it's a spider. So I wait until the next day. She's awake. She's drinking her coffee. I'm like, Bree, there's a spider on me, in my bed. Spider on my bed, on me. Like, how, how are we even safe in this world? <laughs> and she looks at me without an ounce of sympathy, and she says, maybe it crawled up one of your piles. <laughs> Turns around, keeps drinking her coffee. <laughs> Needless to say, the following day, I cleaned my room. <clears throat> Love doesn't avoid the mess. It, uh, it, it treats people as though the mess is not there, but it also doesn't avoid it. It speaks truth into it, and if need be, uh, it does not enable some of those messes. Now, that's just speaking of clothes and spiders, which is silly at the end of the day, 
But right now, I think some of us are speaking about more serious things like abuse. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, all sorts of abuse, spirit, I mean, any, any uh, type of uh, environment where someone is wielding uh, uh, violence or intimidation, they're hurting you and it, it is not their right to do that. Uh, love does not preclude the setting of boundaries. Love does not teach us to enable people to abuse. It is not... Uh, it is not against those things. Sometimes we have to call out elephants in our relationship. We have to call out blind spots in each other. Sometimes we have to just straight up say that is wrong. Now, the thing about people in all sorts of ways that we relate to them is that we can't, we can't control them. Uh, I can't control any of you and you can't control me. But one thing we can control is ourselves. And sometimes controlling uh, what we have been given means removing ourselves from certain situations. And sometimes love means removing yourself from a situation. The question being asked here, uh, when Paul says that love bears all things, is not uh, stay in that place where you can be a doormat. That is not what he's saying. He's asking you, are you going to fight fire with fire? And that's truly an opportunity that most of us will have Big and small, when people spite us, when they offend us, when they hurt us, when they lash out, when they're violent, are we going to react in the same way towards them? For some of us, we've done that already, and you know what, that, you know what, what happens in the wake of that. I've done that. Uh, anger begets anger, and from anger we get resentment, and from resentment we get bitterness and rage and we perpetuate that cycle of hostility where all of a sudden you're just at each other's throats. Sometimes love tells you to just control yourself even if the other person is out of control. And sometimes that means you have to pull yourself out from the mess. So the way love bears and endures sometimes means removing itself from the mess. Keep in mind that love bears the worst in people but it is not controlled by the worst in people. Even Jesus himself loved everybody, but he did not let other people dictate the way that he ran his life. He was dictated by the will of the Father, and there were times where people would heap their expectations on him. They wanted to make him king. He refused that. He ran away. They wanted him to, go to, a cer- uh, to stay in a certain village. He said, no, I'm going to go to this other village. They wanted, uh, they wanted him to uh, appease the crowds. He said, well, I want to go to this group of people. Or he would escape to a mountain. They would say, well, I, uh, that's not right what you're saying, and he would say it anyway. He was constantly setting up healthy parameters so that he could love people properly. So love does not mean that you're a doormat. It means that you don't give up on people, which is a hard thing to do. We see Paul doing this uh, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. Look at, look at an example of this, where he says in uh, chapter 9, verse 12, uh, and he's speaking right here about uh, his rights as an apostle. He said, Hey, for those of us, Paul, Peter, James, John, we've given our lives to be apostles, to bring the word. Uh, and he was making an argument, like, is it too much for you to, like, pay for our food, like, give us a meal? Uh, he's basically making the argument that they, they should have the right to 
uh, have financial means to do what they're doing. But then he goes into 1 Corinthians 9, 12, and he says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? The right to, uh, for an apostle to be paid for what he's doing. Then he goes on and he says, listen to this, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure, stego, bearing, enduring, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now notice what Paul is doing. He's, he's not saying we should not find financial sustenance from what we're doing. He's saying we have a right to this. But then he's also saying, hey, there, are some, there might be a situation in which I will give up what is mine, what is my right, if it is for the end goal of this thing that I, I find myself so compelled by. For him, it is financial uh, support. For you, it might be something else. Maybe you've been dealing with this person in your life and they just keep throwing out sarcastic remarks. They're always just giving you the silent treatment. You're sick of it. Maybe you're uh, in a work environment that is hostile and toxic and people are just not treating you like, like you should be treated. Maybe you are in a relationship and your spouse is just disrespectful. Maybe they don't listen to you. You feel unsupported. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe someone is flat out spiteful towards you and hostile. For you, what does that look like? Well, I want you to notice what Paul has that maybe some of us don't have. He has a compelling vision. Remember his poetry. I am able to bear all and to endure all, love does, because of what it believes and hopes in, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come. He has a compelling vision of something out there that is enabling him to do something right now. For him, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, I gotta eat my food, but if it's a matter of being a stumbling block to people who could know Jesus, I'll give up all my rights. I'll bear all of your drama, he's saying to these people. I'll bear all of, your, uh, all of your complaints, all of your laments. I'll bear it all if it just means removing obstacles to the gospel. Perhaps what you and I need is not to go into Monday trying to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps saying, I'm going to bear everything. Finding like me that you fail miserably. Maybe what we need to be concentrating on is having a big, compelling vision of something to live for. For Paul, it was that, that love that compelled him. He was willing to undergo anything because of something that he saw. He saw the gospel being unleashed in these flesh and blood people in front of him. Do you have a compelling vision? Do you have something that when people are acting up, when they're doing you wrong, when they're Uh, when they're shaming you, humiliating you, treating you wrongly, treating you unfairly, something that anchors you deeper than in the circumstances in which you find yourself in. Paul seems to have that. And this is where Paul, when he would speak and breathe, love would come out. You know what love is up until this point? If we were just to take this line at face value, love is so free of selfishness and so full of compassion that it is willing to endure anything for as long as it takes with no limits in order to see the ultimate good in another person, the very person who is spitefully using you or treating you wrongly. 
I shared this story years ago uh, that I just have to revisit again, but it's uh, from the, the classic novel Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Uh, Victor Hugo. Uh, some of you maybe have seen the movie with all the singing. That is a great movie. Uh, but for those of you that have read the, the book, it's in the book, in Victor Hugo's novel, that this, this sense of redemption in love comes out so beautifully. And those of you that know the story will recognize this. Uh, for those of you that haven't, I'm going to spoil it. Here's the Cliff Notes version. But Jean Valjean is uh, at the center of the story, and he's a fairly good guy until he's unjustly imprisoned for something he didn't do. And he's in prison for 19 years. And after 19 years of prison, he becomes victimized and bitter and self-righteous. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? When you harbor things that people do towards you. I, I tend to do that because in some sick way, in some naive way, I think that I'm, I'm getting back at them by resenting them and, and replaying those moments in my mind, and they have no idea. The only person I'm hurting is me. And so we become victimized, bitter, and self-righteous. As the saying goes, hurting people hurt people. And so he leaves prison, a completely changed person. He leaves prison a criminal 19 years later. And during the course of the story, a bishop by the name of Muriel takes him into his home, this hardened criminal, and treats him with love and respect, seats him at the table, eats with him, gives him a room. And for that act of mercy, when uh, Bishop Muriel is, is looking the other way, Jean Valjean steals some of his silverware and escapes into the night, still doing what he used to do. And he gets caught by some gendarmes. And as he's caught by these police officers, they, they drag him to Bishop Muriel's house, throw him on the ground and say, Bishop, Father, we, we have found this criminal. I think he has some stuff that belongs to you. Validate this. Tell us, that you're, uh, tell us if this was your stuff, and we'll lock this, this guy up for, for the rest of his life. He's caught, and he deserves everything coming his way. And Bishop Muriel actually looks at the, the police officers and, and re, 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 replies, actually, uh, those are his. I gave them to him. And the, the gendarmes look at each other and they're flabbergasted and they're like, oh, that's weird. But they leave Jean Valjean there in his house and they leave the house. Jean Valjean, whose mouth is basically hanging down onto the ground and Bishop Muriel, before they leave, actually responds by saying, and in fact, uh, I'm so glad that you brought him to the house because, hey, Valjean, you forgot the, the silver candlesticks as well. You need to take those with you. Lavish grace. The cops leave. As after they leave, Jean Valjean reaches down, uh, excuse me, the bishop reaches down to Val, uh, Valjean and says, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you I withdraw it from black thoughts and from the spirit of perdition and I give it to God. And in a swell stroke of love and grace, redeems. Picture of redemption. Jean Valjean has changed for the rest of his life. Love doesn't just affect our own souls. It changes the very people that we are forgiving and bearing all things with. The person who does this, and this is just a story, but the person who does this most vividly, the picture of love, as you might know, if you've been going here for any length of time, is Jesus himself. 
Jesus was this way towards us when we have failed to bear the sins and the setbacks and disappointments of other people, including ourselves. Jesus entered into the mess, into our messes that we have piled up for generations, for centuries, all throughout human history, enters into the messes of our broken humanity and embraces us, saves us, changes us. He endures our sin. He endures our scorn. He endures uh, endures our rejection. He bears it all on the cross of shame and uh, and does it all to pursue love. And every time that we have sinned against him and against each other, every time we have read scripture and said, that looks clever, but I'm going to do something else. Every time that we have hurt someone in our path and left a wake of destruction in our view, Jesus continues to pursue the one over the 99. He continues to pursue people who lack love, not because they are so loving, not because they deserve his love, but simply because he is a God of love. And he pursues the people who are broken, who are lacking, who spite him, who hold up a stiff arm to God's face and to others, and he continues to pursue them. And every time you embrace the love of God, it slowly begins to change little pieces of you. I love the story of Catherine of Siena, one of uh, three women in the Catholic tradition honored with the title of Doctor of Theology. Because of her personal holiness uh, and deep sense of a spiritual life, which she would write about. And she prayed something that was written, uh, that was later written down, that I thought captured and expressed so beautifully the way God's love bears with us. All the time. She prayed this. When then, eternal Father, did you create this creature of yours? You show me that you made us for one reason only. In your light, you saw yourself compelled by the fire of your love to give us being in spite of the evil we would commit against you, eternal Father. It was fire then that compelled you of unutterable love, even though you saw all the evils your creatures would commit against your infinite goodness, you acted as if you did not see the mess and set your eye only on the beauty of your creature with whom you had fallen in love like one drunk and crazy with love. You are the fire, nothing but a fire of love, crazy over what you have made." Do you believe in such outlandish talk about yourself? That there is a God of sheer holiness and brilliance who is crazy about you? First John chapter 4, verse 10 would say such things, that this is the definition of love, not that you loved God, but that God loved you and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says that on his way to the cross, he endured, he bore, the same word, he bore the the physical and emotional and uh, a torture of the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despised its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The whole story of the Bible surrounds the story of God's love. What Rich Mullins once would call the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God.
And God wants to wrap you up in it this morning. No matter what you have done, no matter what you're doing right now, God wants to capture your broken, hurting, confused heart in what Rich Mullins would call the raging fury of his love. The beauty about love is, and I've shared this at the beginning of the series, that even though we get depictions, descriptions, and illustrations of love, nowhere do we get like a sentence description. We never get like a, a definition, excuse me, of what love is. And I suspect that it's because God left it to be depicted most vividly in the life and death and resurrection and words of a person. Jesus himself is God in the flesh. God who is love, as the Bible tells us, was in flesh, given flesh and bones in Jesus Christ. So when we look at Jesus, we see what love looks like. When was the last time you just slowed down and looked at him? He's the reason that love can exist in a broken world that lacks so much of it. He's the reason love can exist in broken relationships that are falling apart. And he's the reason that you can taste and see that love is real and that you can bear anything that comes your way. Not just to be a good sport, but to taste what true freedom is. The ability to be controlled by nothing else, including other people, except for the love of God. To be free from what other people do to you and from what other things happen to you and only to be compelled and to be controlled by the life-giving love of God inside of you. I want you to insert your name into that verse with me in your minds. I might say, Chris Lazo bears all things. Whatever your name is, just say it in your mind or under your breath. Does that feel weird to you? To say that, do you get scared? Do you think, gosh, I could never do that? Or do you get excited? This verse was meant for you. This verse was meant to expand the horizons of your faith and belief to say that you were meant for far more than what some of you are living right now. You were meant for love. And even though it sounds impossible sometimes, all things are possible to him who believes. You were meant to live in the life-giving, abundant life that Jesus promised when he came to this earth. You were meant to experience real love. And real love is true power. I'm going to ask Alex and the rest of the team to come out as we sing. As we prepare ourselves to to continue worshiping. We worship when we sing. We worship when we hear God's word. We worship when we obey God's word. We worship through the sacraments, through prayer. Now we're going to worship by reflecting on him and by perhaps coming to him in our brokenness and in our need and asking for mercy in in time of need. Let's just do that together. And let's do that with the prayer that Paul would pray for us in Ephesians 3. He says, "I, I pray that by the riches of his glory, you would be strengthened in your inner being by, your, by his spirit with power 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the depth, and the length, and the height. And to know the love of God, the love of Christ, that surpasses our comprehension. There's a love that surpasses your comprehension. And God in Christ wants to lavish on you freely. Will you accept it? Lord, we come before you today and we ask that we would know the love of Christ, that you would expand our way of thinking, that you would break down the walls that keep that stuff uh, from happening, that you would bring us to a place of repentance and that you would draw us by your kindness, that you would lift us up onto the rock where our feet would not slip, that we would be instruments of peace and instruments of love, not the love and peace that the world offers, but that which comes from the kingdom of heaven. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts today as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.